Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you to raise the bar on your own performance and to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's episode. Greetings, everyone. It's Hugh Ballou back for another episode of the Nonprofit Exchange. And I'm excited about today's session. We always have good guests, but today um, it's very different than we've had before. Um, it's the author of this book, Stop, it says Stop, Stop the Nonprofit Blame Game. Now, we want to blame everybody else, but maybe we played a role in this thing. Maybe we set it up wrong. Maybe we aren't doing it exactly up to the standards that we want to see. So we're going to, we're going to talk about this with Hardy Smith today. So Hardy, um, tell people a little bit about who you are and why did you, why did you write this book? <laughs> Hugh, thank you so very much. Uh, I certainly appreciate an opportunity to visit with you and uh, everyone that, that's a part of this uh, tremendous uh, podcast. Hugh is a consultant and speaker. I have a long time personal and professional uh, experience working with nonprofits nationwide. And my primary focus when I'm assisting nonprofits is working with those organizations who want to benefit from fully engaged boards. And that, that creates pretty much of a white hot topic area. And I have a results oriented approach that was developed during 30 years working in the world of NASCAR racing. So it's a little bit of a different uh, background than most uh, of those who are involved with nonprofits uh, bring to the table but it's something I enjoy uh, very much. And, uh, and I guess the, you know, the question of the day, uh, why write this book is, well, number one, I believe that it's, there, there's, there's a tremendous need. Um, all of us working in, in the world of nonprofits, the social sectors, um, totally understand the uh, mass across the board frustration uh, that exist, and that frustration is generated by lack of engagement or too much engagement by board members who aren't performing as expected. So there's a tremendous need uh, for what I believe this book offers. Uh, there's been a whole lot of advice over a long period of time uh, that's shared in the sector um, on, on how to deal with this very dysfunctional situation. But in my opinion, uh, and I think all the research shows, uh, the advice that's been offered hasn't produced a result. So I saw an opportunity where results are needed and I set out to deliver that. And I believe that's what Stop the Nonprofit Board Blame Game does. So it's just um, uniquely enough um, in, in my my keynotes and my trainings, uh, I use the analogy as a conductor, I use the analogy of an orchestra. As, as um, you know, you wanna build this high performing team. And in the orchestra, you've got people that um, um, are very skilled and they don't give up that skill to be part of a team. So part of, this is one of the slides from one of my keynotes, your team is an orchestra. Now, 
Um, let's go on down. Here's also one analogy that I use. So you got seven guys that jump over a wall in 13 seconds. They change four tires, fill the tank of gas, clean the windshield, and they're done. If it's 13.1, you probably lost a position on the track. Too slow. So, so it's really important. What we don't do in nonprofit boards is we don't rehearse for success. We just show up and we do the same old stuff and we expect good results. So what's wrong with that picture? I think if you if you went back uh, really quickly, just kind of walk back to that uh, the shot of the pit crew there at Daytona. Um, every single one of those individuals, uh, Jackman, tire guy, uh, impact wrench guy, windshield washer guy, um, and of course you know the crew chief calling the shots, and don't forget the driver. Um, every single one of those is a specialist and they're highly skilled and they're recruited to perform a certain function. And their, the arena that they perform in is, it happens in a matter of seconds. It's repeated only three or four times during the course of a race, but that's their job and their responsibility. Very intentional by uh, teams when they're putting together the top crew, uh, the top pit crew, because as you said, fractions of seconds can cost a race. As a matter of fact, this is a picture of Daytona where I'm based uh, and the Daytona 500 coming up in, in just a few weeks, uh, a football field a second. That, that is the speed that these NASCAR cup cars are traveling, a football field a second. So if you lose a second in the pits, you've lost 100 yards, which in the course of history of Daytona 500s, that's plenty of time to, to lose a race. Now, let's, let's make the connection jump from NASCAR to nonprofit boards, okay? Mm -hmm. The NASCAR teams are very intentional about who they, who they recruit. The challenge here with that I see with way too many nonprofit organizations is cue they're not intentional about board recruiting. So I'm an advocate of recruiting board members, getting the right people, and you do that by uh, recruiting with purpose and process. Now, now, what do I mean by that? What I mean is that nonprofits wait, typically wait until the very last minute without any forethought for filling uh, board vacancies. So they know, you know, when the end of the year is, they know when board terms are up. Uh, they, they, you know, know when a vacancy is going to occur and they just kind of wing it. Uh, they look for what I call slot fillers. Okay, who can we grab? Who knows somebody that we can just stick on, a, stick, uh, you know, on our board? Now, my challenge is to every nonprofit uh, leader that, that's, that's with us this afternoon, you know, how important is your mission? So, so you, know, you know, you might be a little bit offended. And, and if you are, that's okay. Because if you're, if you're offended by me asking how important is your mission, you should take it to heart when I'm saying if your mission is that important, you need the right board to make sure that mission is happening and you have to be intentional about it. And the way you do that is you simply first identify the what. 
what is it that you need? And every organization is unique. You can't, it's not a cookie cutter approach as far as this individual will fit on this board and, 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 and then they'll just automatically fit on any other board. I don't believe that's the case. Certainly there are some individuals that'll be great wherever they are, but every single board, every single nonprofit, in my opinion, is unique. And you need the skills that, are, that, are, that will help your organization in its unique purpose. And then when you identify the what, uh, the who. So who is it that has what you need? And work in advance. Don't wait until the last minute. You know, consider what uh, sports teams do. They're constantly recruiting. They're constantly on the lookout. I'm seeing, you know, football teams, basketball teams at the college level. They know who the top youth sports prospects are in junior high or middle school. And they're tracking those for years prior to them actually offering a scholarship. So that kind of intentionality, recruiting board members with purpose and process is my, what I advocate for nonprofit boards. And, you know, there are personalities to consider. There are all kinds of things to consider. Will someone be the best person, a good fit, best fit for your board? And I'm, what the book addresses is, is two things. Number one, uh, those organizations that don't take this approach. And then those organizations that do, you, you may have a perfectly performing high performance board, but you have to make sure you always do. You can't, you can't let, uh, for, our, for our members of the clergy that are, that are with us this afternoon, you can't let those boards backslide. You got it. You got it. So <clears throat> if you're driving in a cup race as a NASCAR driver, you've probably driven in other series before that. So you've, you've had some experience. Now, we want to just go cold turkey and say, George, how about being on my board? You know, and then we, then we lie to them and say, oh, it's not a lot of work. And they know you're lying. <laughs> so why do we have this, this, this um, I don't know, it's guilt about asking people. Why are we ashamed to ask people to serve humanity? Well, I'm, I'm going to say I know the answer. And it's not, uh, it's not guilt. It's not shame. It's because you're afraid the person is going to say no. Yeah. And you, if they say no, you're not sure who else you're going to ask. Because again, going back uh, to, to my previous comments, you haven't put any intentionality into your recruitment process. And also what happens uh, is we talk about board engagement or a lack of engagement. It's what I call bait and switch. So you know what you're going to ask a board member to do once they say, I do at the altar. But you know, once you get to that point, it's a little bit late to start having a, a conversation that's going to work out well about what your expectations for the relationship are going to be. So not having conversations in the recruiting process, in the orientation, onboarding con uh, conversation about what's expected and, you know, sometimes the best answer when you're recruiting an individual, Hugh, um, might be no. The best answer might be no. That's the best answer for the nonprofit and the individual. I find as a, as a trained um, meeting facilitator that I, I, I create um, 
diverse perspectives and ages and skill sets. There's, there's many ways you can slice diversity, but I, I find that if everybody is a subject matter expert, it's, that's dangerous. So for instance, I just, I served as the, the board president of the, the Lynchburg Symphony Orchestra. And we had a number of people who were not musicians because we needed business heads, we need legal heads, we needed event heads, we needed all kinds of people with different skill sets. Of course, they all liked the music and appreciated it. But so as we approach two things, as we approach um, the ideal board member, we need to start before, <laughs> before we want them to you know, go, go live on the board. And are there other groups they could join prior to being asked to be on the board so they could sort of get up to speed of what we're doing? That is a fantastic question, Hugh. There is research um, that, that uh, primarily from, from the board source organization, um, and I'm a blogger for board source, um, there, that research shows there's an amazing knowledge gap of board members um, not knowing their roles and responsibilities. And that shows up as a constant uh, deficit um, as far as board members go. Now that the criticism of, of lack of, of knowledge and, and on roles and responsibilities, that's coming from nonprofit staff. Board members aren't criticizing themselves. So if nonprofit staff has an issue with board members not knowing what they need to know, um, you can't know what you're supposed to know if you don't know it. So whose job is it to, to provide that education? So again, in the recruiting process, uh, in the onboarding process, uh, continuously through the board service experience, re-explaining, clarifying, get acceptance of that responsibility is a, is a huge, huge deal. Um, but you've got to explain what's expected. What is it they need to know? Um, so do you need to provide uh, the experience uh, for a board member? Uh, and just because they've been on another board doesn't mean they were doing it right there either. Uh, you know, there's a whole lot of... Uh, about in, in sports, about are you practicing to get better or are you just practicing to get bad? So, you know, how are you practicing? So you've got to provide the training. You've got to provide the, the experience necessary, especially when it comes to leadership development within the board itself. So there's, um, there's a lot of under-functioning boards. And from my perspective, I see a lot of over-functioning leaders that do too much and, the, and I think the board members just kind of throw up their arms and say, what's the use? Uh, how often do you see that? I see it quite a lot. And here's, there, there are two situations. Um, unfortunately, there are um, circumstances when the professional staff is of the opinion that look, life would be a whole lot easier if they didn't have to, to mess around with these volunteer leaders. So we'll just, we'll just, you know, use them because we're legally required to, or, you know, for some, you know, and we'll just do it that way. Um, and, and that's, that's what I call treating your, your, uh, your board members like mushrooms. You keep them in the dark and you cover them with manure. Um, and that, that's just not right. Uh, now, the second uh, thing is, is 
quite often, a nonprofit professional can figure out, well, you know, um, it'd be a, just a whole lot easier if I just do it myself. Well, that's like writing a strategic plan for yourself or getting sponsors for yourself, whatever it is, I'm just going to do it myself because I just don't have time to fool with the board. And besides, they're probably busy anyway. Huge, huge mistake here. Once you start excluding your board members, you're reducing the opportunities for them to feel ownership for the cause, for the nonprofit. And then once they start seeing that, oh, well, okay, well, the executive director is going to do all this. What do they need me for? You have just flipped the switch on disengagement. So that's, oh gosh, that's just so, so wrong in so many ways. Wow. And those are classic problems. And we tend as leaders to point the fingers and blame, <laughs> back to your book title, which is a great title, we tend to blame other people when we actually set up the problem. Is that true? My research agrees with you, Hugh. And, and what I found in my research is while the finger of blame from that nonprofit staff leader is pointing toward board members, there are so many board members that are frustrated by their board service experience. So good intentioned, well-meaning, very highly qualified, very motivated board members quite often are totally turned off, become disengaged because of a number of repeated mistakes that organizations make in the relationship with their board members. My, 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 my. So I want to hone in on a couple of, couple of areas. So a common problem, especially for early stage nonprofits, is where do I find people? Well, that's that's kind of the <laughs> that's kind of the, the the big question. Another one of those big, there are a lot of big questions. That's another one. Um, where where do I find the right people? Uh, again, let's go back. Um, identify the what. What is it that you need? And uh, a new startup. Uh, organization, pr probably what you need is a board that not only provides governance, maybe some fundraising as well, but also manpower. Um, they just need board members to get out and uh, rake leaves or pick up trash or, you know, wash uh, stray dogs or whatever it is that the nonprofit, you know, is an advocate for. And then you've got the more uh, sophisticated, more mature organization when they need their board members to be maybe more strategic minded, perhaps some high level fundraising activities. And then there's the in-betweens. So again, it depends on kind of where your organization is in the life cycle uh, of your particular, your nonprofit. It's always evolving. Um, you have to commit to working to find and putting the time in necessary, doing the work to finding the people that you need. If you wait until the last minute, like so many organizations do, you're gonna get what you've always got in the past and I call them slot fillers. You've got individuals that are just taking up a seat around a board table 
They don't really fully understand your mission. They're involved in way too many other organizations with too many other commitments. They're not committed to your organization. You're not the number one priority on their multi-list of, 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 of other organizations they're involved with. So you're just not expending the effort to get the best possible board member. So shop around, look for organizations. Who, if you're a local organization, look in the community, who are the, the individuals who, who are not actively serving on other boards? Who are the young up and comers? You know, there, there's, there's bound to be people, well-qualified people, very passionate people who would be willing to serve on your board if you would just simply ask them. And, you know, work with your existing board members. And, you know, who, who do they know that they're friends with? Who are their colleagues that, that they would suggest? Ask, and here's another one, ask your staff also because your staff is out there in the community and they probably, they know a whole, they have a whole lot of community connections. Probably most staff members never are included in board recruitment conversations. Those are a couple of ideas. Great, those are great ideas. I, um, I've seen this model work in a number of groups where I'm not a fan of advisory boards, but I'm a fan of advisory councils because you put the title board there, they think they, get, they need to vote. But a council is sort of a farm team. So if you had, it doesn't matter how many, if you had people that were passionate about the work, could even participate with the board of directors on the, the strategic planning uh, workshop and or could serve on committees and those work teams. So they're invested already. So that's a person you could easily tap because you're sort of seeing how people perform and how they step Ooh. up their, their commitments. Absolutely. And that applies to volunteers too. So if you're an organization that, that uh, uses a lot of volunteers, who are those individuals that are consistently non-board members who are consistently showing up and they're very interested in your cause. They're very passionate about it. They're very dependable. Um, and, you know, give, give them a look-see. So there's, I'm, I'm going to hone in on some chapters here. There's another, another piece that um, I find is a blind spot and a deficit for nonprofit leaders, especially founders. They get their friends to start on the board with them and they never ask them to donate. And I said, that's a big mistake. Oh, I can't ask them to do that. Well, yes, you can. <laughs> well, I think it's, in, you know, having the money question is something that the book uh, addresses. Yeah. Um, that's a, you know, uh, money is a very serious issue. It's a personal issue uh, for everyone. And, and so what I am a strong advocate for is have the money question up front. Um, if you, if I'm recruiting you, Hugh, to, to be on the board, uh, if I'm not letting you know that we're expecting every board member to write a check of X amount or get, let's, let's continue, expand the conversation to, to actually raising money. Uh, and I'm talking about direct solicitation, not, not support type activities of giving you a, a writing a letter or something like that. But, you know, the money question is so critical. 
And uh, if I if if the board is or the the organization is expecting you, Hugh, as a as a new member to write a a, a check, um, then I I am totally off base if I don't let you know that in the very first conversation we have, because if I don't, and you find out later, like you come to the first meeting and the board chair says, Hugh, welcome to the board. And by the way, uh, when will you be writing that big check that every board member writes? I've probably, the board has probably just lost you. Again, that's what I call bait and switch. We're afraid to have the money conversation up front because we're afraid we'll lose you. Um, and, you know, most people, as a matter of fact, most people don't like asking other people for money. So even though I'm willing to ask you to be on the board, I'm not willing to ask you to write a check either. You know, you might as well ask them to write the check because if they don't, they're going to waste it somewhere. You know, I've, I've got to the point in our life, my wife and I donate to a number of organizations, and it really feels good to be able to do that. Sure. And so you're depriving somebody of that commitment to support the organization financially. And, and you say, oh, they're, they're donating their time. We know that they can go raise money. Well, if they're not willing to give money, how are they going to ask other people to give money? Come on. So we don't think that one through. We just, we got this, um, there's all kind of uh, negative, negative things we tell ourselves about money anyway. So just make it up front. And it's a matter of fact, that's, that's really good advice. So back in the book, <clears throat> there's some chapters I highlighted here, 13, 14, 15. So there's the communications, which in 33 years of working with nonprofits, it's never failed to come up as a problem communication, but it's sort of like everybody talks about it. Nobody does anything about it. The, um, the changing the board performance culture, because we've learned things wrong and we've inherited bad systems. And then the other one is um, creating, you spoke about board leadership. So take any of those, if you will, and let's talk about why those are important. Let's, let's jump on communication. Um, and the key here is communicating effectively and underline effectively. So if I were doing, a, if I were showing you my PowerPoint presentation as part of a, a speaking uh, engagement, the word effectively would be underlined and in red. Um, in the survey, in the research that I've done, board members have, have shared with me that miscommunications, failure to communicate, breakdowns in the communication uh, you know, activity. That's the number one reason for disengagement. That's the number one reason for board members not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Now let's hit just a couple of quick, quick pointers here. Communication frequency is certainly important, but it's not totally about frequency. It's what are you communicating? How are you communicating? The timeliness of the communication. You know, board members typically do not want to be surprised. And remember this, just visualize uh, for our nonprofit leaders uh, on the podcast today. Visualize your boardroom, all the faces sitting around the table. Every single one of those individuals has an individual preference on how they want to be communicated with. And, you know, when I worked in NASCAR racing, 
I worked for Bill France and Bill like would call me in and ask me for a situation report. And I would just launch into a full scale report that I'd work really hard on. And he said, Hardy, look, I just need a weather forecast. Is it raining? Yes or no. That's all I need. And I just, you know, so, you know, boom, boom, cover it. And that's, that was his personality, communication, personality preference. If he wanted more information, he would ask for it. So what I'm suggesting is nonprofit leaders and also board leaders as well, because they're communicating with their board members too, right? So you've got to do the work necessary to understand how each one of your board members prefers to be communicated with. Do they want a big, thick board packet? Do they want a short video? Just send them a text message, uh, tweet it out, uh, an email newsletter. You know, what is it? And probably most nonprofit leaders with us this afternoon are saying, great, Hardy, we've got enough to do. And you've just loaded us down with more communication work. Yes. How bad do you want a successful relationship with your board members? You know, anyone involved in a, in a long time successful relationship, they'll also tell you communication is the number one key to a successful relationship with another individual. The same thing applies to board members. Communicate effectively. It's not a bad idea to have lunch with everybody over the course of the year. Got to maintain the personal connection. Personal connection, connectivity, if you will, leads to relationships. Relationships leads to trust. Trust leads to collaboration. Collaboration leads to engagement. So the nodding board, I've seen boards where the, the leader talks at them and they come in and they do, all they do is nodding and then they go home and do nodding. So nothing happens. So how do we break that cycle and changing the, the culture and the performance of the board? Hugh, what a, what a terrific question. The issue here, if you have that type of board meeting dynamic is that they're, they're a turnoff. So if you're, if you're not sure about that, just kind of pay attention to attendance. Pay attention to uh, our board members asking questions. Are they, do they have comments to share? Why did you pick them in the first place? If you don't want to hear their opinions, if you don't value them challenging a thought or a program or an idea that the organization is, is considering, why have them on the board to start out with and they're going to be having the same question in their mind and that's then that's that then your boards become a turn off if you flip the switch make your meetings a cannot miss meeting because they're stimulating engagement they're they're utilizing individual board members talents skills tapping into their passion, you're going to have a board that's going to produce unlimited results. And then the last question I have is the, um, you, you have a chapter on board leadership. Now, there's, it's, there's a pattern I've seen 
board members show up and say, just tell me what to do. They don't want to accept responsibility or take on initiatives, but that's not the right, that's not the right frame of mind, is it? I would suggest if, if you have a board, I mean, it's good to, 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 you know, to ask that question. That's a good natural question. But if that's the extent of the path that they're going to take to being a leader of your board, then I, I think, oh, maybe you, you've probably got trouble coming. So if you're trying to accomplish something significant, you know, they're not going to be the ones to, to provide the dynamic leadership that's going to make a, a difference for your particular cause. So again, just like board members, when you're developing the board leadership, what do you need and who do you need it? Just because someone's been on your board and been there for a long time and it's their turn to be the chair, you know, how serious is the mission of your organization? You've got to be intentional about your board leadership. They may not have the skill set, they may not have the experience for facilitating uh, engagement by volunteers. And just because they, they may be uh, the owner or the leading principal of the largest business in your community doesn't necessarily mean they understand how to successfully lead a group of volunteers. Totally different situation. And so how bad do you want it? Do you want a successful uh, board leadership uh, for your board? Then you got to make it happen. So I said that was my last question, but I lied. Um, <clears throat> succession, board succession plan. So um, one of the models is that somebody, you recruit somebody to be a board president elect or chair elect, and then they're chair elect for a year to sort of parallel the, the, the chairperson, and then they're the chair, and then they're the past chair. So that's a three-year cycle, which I see often, but is a year long enough to really get some traction or should there be a six-year cycle two is prep two on and two past what is your opinion on that that's a long time i would suggest that in that in today's world six years is is getting to be a long time when you're asking someone to to be in that leadership ascension uh, path uh hugh would like for you to get on this path and here's where it goes and it's a six-year commitment. That, that's getting to be a long time. Um, so narrowing that, that down, uh, you know, president-elect, president, past president, uh, uh, president, you know, that's half of that time. And if you're providing, I would suggest specific uh, job descriptions of what you expect for your president or chair-elect to do, uh, to, to prepare them to take on that top leadership role. And then the same thing for your past president or past chair. And another thing I would suggest is have those three positions coordinating what that, that team of three would like to achieve in the three-year period of working together. So it's a relay um, you don't have to do, you can't reinvent the, the entire world in, in a 12-month period. Um, you can only do limited number of things. Uh, that's a reality that, that too many leaders fail to understand. And, and so what can you do in three years? 
and the three individuals holding those three key leadership positions, let's just divide it up. Who takes what and when, year one, two, and three? Those are really good answers. So um, you can find Hardy at hardysmith.com, H-A-R-D-Y-S-M-I-T-H.com. And you'll find this, this really good book on Amazon, Stop the Nonprofit Blame Game. You can find it on his website. And um, that should be in every nonprofit leader's library. It's systemic, step-by-step -step processes on how to do all of this stuff and a lot more. So Hardy, uh, thank you for seeking me out. I'm really glad that I paid attention and got you to be my guest on the Nonprofit Exchange today. Any, any parting thought or tip you'd like to leave people with? I would, I would just reinforce your, your very strong commercial for my book. Here, the book is written as a resource. It, it, it's meant to be used. It not only identifies problems, it provides solutions more importantly, the solutions have specific how-tos. And within, you know, it's a book to be used and put to work. So I would encourage everyone to, to buy the book. It's on Amazon, as you said, and uh, let, let it help you make a difference for your nonprofit and your nonprofit board. Absolutely, I recommend that too. So Hardy, uh, thank you so much for being our guest today on the Nonprofit Exchange. Thank you, Hugh. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening to The Nonprofit Exchange. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.